Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another another episode of Atlantic Bushcraft Adventures. Tonight, episode 122, and kind of an interesting topic, I think. I don't know, maybe it's not, but unforeseen circumstances. The stories of when things went wrong. And honestly, that, that I mean, the title's self-explanatory, I think. Don't you, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> if you guys are wondering why we're, we're laughing and giggling a little bit, just before we talked... The, the statement was bravery and stupidity kind of go, or I think you said don't go hand in hand, but I think they very much do go hand in hand. And <clears throat> me, me and Robert have both suffered from both, I think. Yeah, depending on the day, I think. And some of these stories may show that, to be perfectly honest with you. But yeah, yeah, we, we often talk about things that aren't related to the podcast immediately before the podcast. Which I don't know if it's good or bad or otherwise, but it often leads to some funny statements. And but anyway, back on track. So yeah, uh, unforeseen circumstances when things go wrong. Hey, Steve, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, I thought you know this is one of those topics I picked out of my head that I thought might be interesting for you guys out there because we get the questions sometimes, like, what do you do when things go wrong, or what do you do if um, you know it it didn't work out the way you planned when you go in the woods. And truth be told. Honestly, there's two different scopes of this. Things not going the way you intended, which I think is just kind of a given when you go out in the woods because there's so many unknowns. And then when things go disastrously wrong, uh, to some degree. And that could mean, you know, like it just went so far south that you had to completely change your plans. Or, excuse me, it went so far south that, you know, drastic action had to be taken. And that's kind of where I'm leaning towards this. What's your thoughts, Ben? Uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, I, I suffer. Well, I don't know if suffers. I tend to think things over a lot. So when I go into almost any situation, I've already got a dozen scenarios in my mind. But I'm also pretty positive generally when I'm out. So I'm not too, like something doesn't go the way I expected or I, I really wanted. I take things very positively. But that doesn't seem mean things don't happen. But I, I think attitude plays a huge role in these things because you if you're the kind of person when something goes wrong you let it really bother you to me it's a cascading thing everything after that is going to be so much worse than it was before but if you take the first thing kind of like oh well and then the second thing is oh well and the third thing is oh well well you're not going to get so beat down so quick mm. but uh and you won't make the mistakes that the person who really kind of panics the first time does because that's the big thing when things start to go wrong and you really let it get get to you that's when you make bad decisions no and i couldn't agree more like mentality is a hundred percent of the game in all honesty even when things go moderately wrong to just slightly off plan to disastrously wrong your mentality is key like you said if if you get in a bad mental state it's going to make a bad situation worse where if you stay in the proper mental state a bad situation can sometimes be turned into a good situation, or at least be resolved with a lot less physical and mental effort involved, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. What's Steve saying here? Like many situations in life, I draw a line where something becomes a dead, uh, I think it's supposed to be a deal breaker. Everything else is a chance to learn and find the solution, uh, or sorry, find that situation easier next time. And that's exactly it. Like, there's no, you must have heard the expression, there's no stupid questions. Uh, <laughs> And it's, it's kind of the same thing. There's really no bad situations as long as you can use it as a positive uh, or a chance to learn or something like that. I mean, I've been out 
and uh, things have gone, I mean, disastrously bad. Let's go with that. But I always learn something from it. You know what I mean? It's experience uh, and knowing what not to do in the next situation that you take away from that, which, I mean, it helps you grow as a person and it does develop your skills. Um, or more specifically, it develops your skills in the instance of you know what won't work so you can eliminate it and save the effort and time next time or you know what to look for to avoid the situation next time but i mean like like steve said that's that's a lot of life situations not just in the woods as well and i i think you hit the nail right on the head like mental state is key regardless what happens yeah and it's it's something you have to be very aware of um and 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 i I guess i really wanted to preface this with that is the very best defense you have of things going wrong is having that right mental state when you get into it because that makes a huge difference in the overall outcome and it does make a huge difference between you making the best of it and it being a great story and it everything being ruined and just becoming something that's miserable and you can't even stand to think about you know in the future uh when things tend to go wrong for me and you and i've noticed it with with you too like it's it's more of a joke to us like oh yeah i went in the woods and my backpack fell apart and i lost all my food and i still had a great time though right and that's <laughs> just it it's mental state right i showed up and the lake wasn't there anymore <laughs> yeah true story true story <laughs> Robert lost the lake. <laughs> yeah, I somehow managed to lose the lake. It looked fine on Google Maps, too, but upon arrival, uh, advertisement may not have been as, as advertised, so to speak. But I got a statement for you, and I want your opinion on this. And for anybody listening, Ben and I haven't talked about this. I've actually been keeping it in the back of my mind because I had this conversation with somebody at work. And I said this, and they didn't know really how to take it. And then that led to another conversation on how to explain it. But let's let's go... What you think of this, Ben, and for our listeners out there, just something for them to roll around in their head. I get asked sometimes at work, like, I'm fairly knacky, you know what I mean? I have a whole bunch of skills, but none mastered, but I'm capable of doing many things. And a lot of people say, well, you're capable of doing so many things. And don't get me wrong, I'm not tooting my own horn. I always tell them it's because, once again, it's your mental state. And the first thing I tell them is, you have to learn that no, can't, impossible depending on where you're at, there are luxuries that sometimes you can't afford. Like, uh, I always relate it to working on uh, mechanical things. You know what I mean? Like working on small engines, building something, something like that. Uh, Somebody would come and be like, oh, well, I can't do that. And I'll be telling them, well, that's not acceptable. Like, can't is not an option in this. It's like, you have to. And a lot of people don't understand that. Like, they, they draw this line where they just decide, well, no, this can't be done. I'll move on as to where I have this, I don't know if maybe I'm beating myself up. Maybe it's a mental disability. I don't know what you call it, but I I just don't do that. I never reach that point of, oh, I can't do this. It's like, okay, that didn't work. Now, what do I have to do to make this work? And I've gone to the extent of, you know, making tools that will only ever get used once for that specific instance. Uh, I've gone as far as like, literally stripping something down beyond all reasonable means to put like a simple bolt in. Um, and I always attribute that to my knackiness. So for lack of a better explanation, it's not knackiness, it's stubbornness. Don't confuse the two. (laughs) So what does that mean to you, Ben? Does that make any kind of sense? 
It, it does. And I, we've talked a bit about this in the past. I, I think we have very similar personality types, which really kind of leads into this. And then there's background. And, and I suspect our backgrounds in, the, in these areas are very similar, too. So I grew up without a ton of resources outside of what we, we, we physically had with us. So basically, I'm saying we grew up pretty poor. Um, but there are certain things you still had to do, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, you still have to be able to get groceries. You still have to be able to, you know, feed and clothes and stuff. So you had to figure things out. So all my life, we spent figuring things out a different way. And my, uh, my father was a great example of this. It's like, he kind of taught me that if no one else is going to do it for you, you have to figure it out on your own. And I, he quickly taught me that nothing was impossible. It could be difficult. It might t mean you're going to take you longer than somebody else might do. It mean, might mean you have to think of some pretty out-of-the-box solutions, and I've definitely done that myself. Uh, I have had some projects that might sit for weeks, if not months, because I just haven't figured it out yet. doesn't mean I've stopped. doesn't mean I'm not working on it. But, uh, you know, I'll research things out. I'll figure things out. I'll look things up. I'll think about things a million different ways. And that's that's kind of an enjoy enjoyable thing. But what I have learned is exactly what you said, is nothing is truly impossible, because impossible is oftentimes not the option. Uh, if you want to survive, you want to move forward, you know, in in, in anything in life this is beyond bushcraft this is like life lessons here people this is deep <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, kind of the whole thing yeah you're capable of way more way more than you you actually realize and people put limitations on themselves and i hear it all the time it's it's a very common thing i'll run into people and say i couldn't do that i couldn't sleep a night in the woods i couldn't do this i couldn't do that no well first off you're wrong. Like you're a hundred percent wrong. You absolutely can do this. You can change a tire in a car. You can change a spark plug. You can change a piston. All these things are physically and mentally within your, your realm of possibilities. The thing is you've already decided you can't soon. Now you won't do it and you will fail because you've defeated yourself before you even try. Um, and I think once you kind of get past that, that I can't do that, and you come down to, I have to do this, so I'm going to figure it out. The world gets so much different. Uh, it, mm. it opens up things to you. And eventually, the only limiting thing you have in life is time. Because you don't have an infinite amount of time, but you have almost everything else that you can you can figure out. It's just getting the time to do it all. Uh that's why you're probably knacky because every time you see something new, you want to figure it out and you, you bend your mind to that. You work on that, you figure that out and then you move to the next thing because you don't have to take the time to master it. Just figure it out enough that you can do what you need to do. To shamble by is what I always think, but that that's, that's exactly it. And you made some great points like, um, no, I can't change a spark plug. Well, growing up, that meant the difference between you had a car where you could go and go to your job you could get your groceries, you could go, in my case, it was drive to the bus stop or whatever, or you stayed home and waited for death. And I mean, that sounds extreme, but sometimes that's where it was. Like, if you wanted groceries, nobody was going to take them to you. You had to figure out how to get them. And if all that was holding you back was something like a head gasket, or the axle breaking out of your car, or the frame broke, I mean, 
These are real things when you drive junk. Don't get me wrong. First car I owned was a, a Hyundai Pony. And if you looked over in the passenger wheel or passenger floor well, you could literally watch the road go by. Like these were not safe things. But this is what I used to get by. You know what I mean? And there's lots of people out there that have these these stories from when they were younger. But the reality was that that was it. Things didn't get better. Like you had to make that work. Nobody was going to assist you. My parents... God loved them. They, they tried their hardest. They gave us a great life, but there was no extras. You know what I mean? Like they worked their guts out so that we had the bare minimum. If we wanted to do anything above and beyond that, you, you had to figure it out much like you said. And that's exactly it. And I think that relates exactly to these disaster situations in the woods or any real life disaster, uh, you know, disaster, quote unquote, because things aren't major disasters. They're just things you know what i mean like that that kind of explains my whole philosophy between no and can't and like can't is maybe a nice way of saying shouldn't and no is a luxury that most people can't like that are poor or you know grew up with nothing they they can't afford the luxury of the the answer no you know what i mean and and once again not trying to say oh woe is me and stuff like that it's it's just a reality you know what I mean? And there's lots of people in the world that do that. And exactly like you said, once you learn that you are so much, you're capable of so much more than you let yourself, it changes your whole perception on things. And that's exactly what I kind of want to talk about. And it, it, that's a great way to lead into our stories and stuff like that. So I yeah. think you hit the nail right on the head is all I was getting to. I, di I didn't want to ramble too, too much on that. <clears throat> Yeah, I had to read the latest one. Um, yeah. Yeah, so spiking from that, moving on to the next thing is, yeah, so when you're out there, and this this is, you know, this is what we're all about, going out in the woods, spending some time out there, whether it's camping, fishing, hiking, whatever. I mean, things happen. Things do go wrong. And it's it really, uh, and I'm not like, you know, the prepper one where the, you know, what's the statement? It's not if it happens, but when. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm not saying everything is going to happen. It's not always going to go as bad as possible. But there's going to be a time when you go to go fishing and you're going to forget the fishing line. Or you're going to go to cast and your fishing line's already more rotten than you had expected and it won't, won't hold up. Or you've gone and set up your tent and realized that an important piece is missing. Uh, this one happened to, I think, my wife. They took grabbed the tent from the parents' yard or basement one of their friends or something and when they got out and they set it up there was no poles so you get so, creative right uh yeah you can i mean me and you both know that if we went out and there was no poles we'd probably look for some alders or some willow and try to to figure something out right like it might not look pretty but we'd probably get erect some kind of structure right it doesn't Somebody have to look up. pretty. It has to be functional. That's what I say about yeah. every single thing I do. Nothing looks pretty. It just works. Kind of. Right. It's fit, form, and function. <laughs> uh, is that a comment for us? I think I was telling you about this. I don't know if this is a comment for us coming in or not. No. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, Dan maybe listened to us, a guy from work, it's somebody didn't have air conditioning in their car and they decided to put a uh, inverter and a uh, window 
air conditioner in the back of their car. So yeah, kind of same kind of deal. You know what I mean? There's If there's a will, there's a way. And that that's really true. And people shouldn't sell themselves short. Like, uh, planning for defeat is the first step in failure. Oh, yeah. So... I mean, uh, anyway, some actual stories. So now that we've gotten through some of that and uh, we had some stories, prime example that Ben just had there was like the tent going out and no poles. Much like that, uh, or the fishing one, great one for me. Uh, many a times I've gone out fishing, hunting, and you've heard me joke about this before on the, uh, the podcast is I've gone fishing numerous times with no bait, uh, which isn't a bad one, but I mean, it's a very common one, very easy one. You just find some bait while you're out there. You may, uh, we have found that pepperettes, will work as an impromptu uh, fishing bait. Ben, with a little bit more luck than myself. Uh, skill. 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 And, uh, I mean, we've gone out with fishing line. We've made the, you know, the uh, the old reed rods. Uh, we found grubs. We fit, Like, it. I know that that's a very mild one, but that's the reality with everything. And um, I have gone out bow hunting and forgotten arrows. Uh, which turned to be a nice walk in the woods. It's not that I couldn't have gone back and gotten the arrows or I couldn't have come up with something else. It's I didn't need to in that instance. And that's the other thing that you have to kind of realize about some of these situations in the woods is know what you need versus what you want. And with a lot of the stuff we talk about, it's a necessity more than a uh, a general wanting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's adapt and overcome type deal. Like you were out there, you were already in the woods. You're, you had planned to spend a day and it turned out you didn't have all the tools for the hunting trip you're going to do. That didn't mean you couldn't still have a great hike or a great time in the woods. You made the best of what you had that in that instance. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and in that case, it wasn't a total loss. In fact, you probably came back from that just as happy as it had you had the arrows oh for sure it actually was great if anybody sees my um there's a video on our channel an introduction to chaga that was actually one of the times i had gone out without arrows and i was like well i'll go for a walk in the woods and then it was like well i'm out here i might as well shoot a quick video and i mean making a bad thing good right yeah yeah <clears throat> but uh, but then i have had some disastrous things as well and anytime just jump in here ben uh, I'm just kind of shooting it out as it comes to my head. But I, I mean, some of the disastrous things that have happened, and I've mentioned this on the uh, podcast before as well. Um, when I worked with Natural Resources, we used to get airdropped into an area in Cape Breton. Uh, and we do PGIs, specifically moose PGIs. And uh, during one of those, I was out in the woods. And the idea was you get flown out, you get dropped off. Uh, you fly to, the, or sorry, you don't fly. You walk to the end of your PGI and they pick you back up. You know what I mean? But things like fog can roll in, and uh, now you are stuck in the woods overnight. You know what I mean? Didn't go to plan. Uh, so I went in with limited food, supplies, did my PGI. Oh, yeah, fog rolled in. It's maybe, hopefully tomorrow we can pick you up. If not, tomorrow will be the day after that. So what do you do? You know what I mean? <laughs> Me, I was somewhat prepared. I had a few extra things in my backpack. Uh, the thing that was a little iffy might have been the water situation because it was warmer. Uh, but I did have, um, I had a method of boiling water if it came down to that, you know what I mean? So instead of, you know, well, crap, what do I do now? And be getting worried about it. You just hunker down, have a good time. Uh, it was decent weather. It wasn't pouring rain. Uh, it was foggy, so it was a little humid, but I mean, 
otherwise, I had a pretty good time. Made a little fire, set up a very basic shelter. I didn't bother building a shelter. I just kind of crawled under some trees because of the area I was in. And they had some... Uh, I, there is a correct term for it, but I can't remember what it is. Where the softwoods kind of make a bowl shape around the bottom off them anyway. And you can almost, you know, get underneath the limbs and have yourself an impromptu shelter. Uh, I can't remember the term to right off top of me but that's basically all it was and i chilled for literally the whole night had a great time they picked me up in the morning things were good other people had said oh i don't know what i would have done in that situation the reality is you have no choice like what other choice do you have in that situation what were my other options try to walk out and like i might have been able to but not in the amount of time it would have taken me just to hold up you know what I mean? It could have been days of me walking out. And that's providing, uh, I did have a GPS with me and I had the compass, but I mean, that's providing I knew my way out in that instance. And, you know, complaining to somebody isn't going to make the helicopter come in quicker. Because <laughs> no. legitimately they just couldn't see. Like, it was dangerous for them to fly at that point. They were putting themselves and me at more risk than just holding tight. Yeah, and we've had similar... Uh outcomes with like search and rescue like we get set down a task and you go from point a to point b you're supposed to get picked up at point b you get there you call in nobody's available this that and the other thing there's a change of shifts there's all the stuff on to go and and uh you know we've had to walk out or meet at different locations uh but that's that's exactly it. you make the best of your your thing but in your situation you're fairly far back there um Anything else you did was probably putting yourself at higher risk. Had you decided to walk out, now they're not sure where you are from moment to moment. Uh, and you could get yourself to a spot where it's more difficult to get to to you if something did happen. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the, you know, you have to take all that into account. Well, you must have a similar experience, Ben. Let's hear a story from you. <laughs> I love it. The smile and laughter. I... The first one that comes to mind, and I'm, I'm sure there's a ton of other ones, but the first one, like just where things really didn't go as planned, had to have been, because it's probably one of the more recent ones too, was the trip that me and the first time I met um, Robert and uh, Gary. And we went mm. out on, on uh, Gaspro Lake, and the wind just came up. Like it was way windier than we'd planned. We were planning going in, we had a destination set up. And as soon as we, we passed the, the leeward side of the shore, I mean, our boat started taking on water. Jeremy's more than ours and mine, and Gary's way less than either of ours. But either way, we were struggling more, and we knew our destination wasn't going to get made. So we pulled up at the safest spot we could, and we just set up camp completely different. Um, we managed to dry off any gear that got wet we managed to make ourselves comfortable we made the best of it we got to know each other we got i mean the first time any of us had met this is something that i think a lot of people would have taken and been like oh my god that was a horrible experience we barely made it out damn near drowned i mean we could have looked at that from a fully negative point of view uh as it was we looked at it as we still have food we still have shelter we still have resources you know we we know basically where we're to we can get out if we absolutely need to Nothing seemed overly bad, but I can see someone flipping that so quick the other way. Uh, and, and I, yeah, it just really does come back to that, is making the best of your, your situation and really sitting back and taking stock of what's going on. Nah, 
And now that I talk about this, I have another story. Uh, me and some of my cousins, and one of them may possibly be here. I haven't checked to see who's here. We went for a walk one time at, at this cabin in Newfoundland. And uh, we went out on this bog. And at one point, we kind of realized that we didn't exactly know where we were to. We had a, a, an idea. Um, and we knew there was about three directions we could go and we would find what we needed. And there's another direction we could go where eventually we'd find something, but it could be quite a lot more distance. So essentially, we were on a spit of land between a road, the ocean, and a, and a road that went from the road to the ocean. And if we hit either of these spots, we knew how to get back to where we were supposed to be. But in the meantime, we're stuck in the middle of somewhere. So we did our best guess of the safest direction and just walked it and sure enough came out on the road. Uh, it probably took us an extra couple of hours to get out than it probably should have. And we just followed the road and went back to the, to the cabins where we were staying. And overall, we had a pretty good time. We showed back up. Nobody was even the wiser that we were ever lost. And honestly, <laughs> they more or less laughed at us because we were... I don't know if we weren't, we may have been teenagers. We were just young kids out having some fun. Um, Which was but, the case when we were younger. As was often the case. Yeah. But I mean, that was an early example where, you know, me and my two cousins, and I'm pretty sure it was just the three of us, sort of looked around, sized up our situation and realized, you know, we only got a couple of choices. And it's basically choose one and go with it. So, so that's what we did. And I think once you set your mind to, I'm going to make the best of this, or I'm going to figure out what I need to do. And you, you start moving to it, you know, things happen and it gets pretty good. Uh, there's almost always something you can do to improve your situation and just choose the one thing that you can do right now. And then once you get that one done, choose the next thing. And before you know it, you don't have a problem anymore. You've just ended up with a difference. You had an experience. <laughs> You've had an experience. You ended up with a different result than was your original plan. But that doesn't mean it was a better result or a worse result. It's just different. No, exactly. And that's the thing. Like, there's there's no bad experiences. There's just experiences. Um, another one that comes to mind that I tell a lot of people and they have a hard time believing. But... Uh, Actually, it wasn't far off from where you and I were, Ben, uh, back at the waterfalls. It was down in that area. I hadn't found the waterfalls at the time, but I was back there camping, you know, just plogging through the woods, doing my thing. Um, and I'd actually had a little bit of a fall, and this is the one where I got the scar on my wrist. I think I showed you that before. And that's exactly it. Like, the plan was I was going to go in. It was just a day trip. I got back there pretty far. And I took a stumble, and there's a lot of shale and stuff back there. and put my hand down, and I sliced straight across my wrist. At the time, it was bleeding quite profusely i didn't know how deep it was or anything like that i mean that was a pretty major thing i was probably four or five hours into the woods <clears throat> i had no cell phone reception back there at the time uh my dnr radio didn't work at the time nothing like that like it's a complete dead zone right so panic started to set in ever so slightly but at the same time it was kind of like in the back of my head i knew it wouldn't help anything so as Ben said, I just kind of stopped, slowed things down, and assessed my situation. First thing, of course, get the bleeding under control. I didn't know if I'd hit a vein or an artery or anything like that, and the reality was if I had of, 
that far back. There wasn't a whole lot that I could do other than try and assess and see if that was the case and to get that bleeding stopped. You know what I mean? So I had a first aid kit with me, compression bandage came out, went on the rest, held it down. Uh, at that point, I was trying to size up if I had something to make a tourniquet. Uh, I was trying to remember if I could remember how to use a tourniquet. Um, uh, and you know what? I, I think that probably saved me a significant amount of further problems. It was literally just instead of getting excited, getting the heart rate up, freaking out, I just kind of, well, I mean, maybe for, you know, a good 10 seconds that happened and then just took the nice common breath, sat down, said, got to figure out what's going on here. Got the blood settled, took a look, you know, it was just, it was a pretty good gash, but other than that, it looked like everything was intact. But the problem had become that any time I moved my wrist or moved my arm, it would open that back up and the bleeding would start again. So at that point, I don't think it was the best decision, maybe not the worst decision, but I had a needle with me and I decided to try and stitch my own, you know, stitch myself up. And I learned that I can, if need be, if the situation dictates, I can actually apply stitches to myself. I don't recommend it for anybody. I have since actually put stitch tape in my first aid kits. At the time, I didn't even know it was a thing. Uh, and it's great stuff. Literally, you just kind of close the skin together where it needs to be. You put this tape over it. It's got little wire in it. And it allows some rigidity to it. So that's like uh, just normal tape will flex a little bit. And uh, wounds and stuff can spread. But with the, the actual stitch tape, it, it holds tight which is amazing stuff. I suggest everybody throws at least a little bit in their uh, kit. But in any case, got it sealed up, got a Band-Aid on it, elevated it, took my time, got myself out of there. Uh, once again, couldn't hurry. Uh, I knew, like, at the time, I was like, okay, got myself under control. Let's hurry and get out of here. And if I tried to hurry, things got worse. So I had to take time, slow down, get out. Uh, I had to be more observant because if I fell and I tried to stick my hand out a second fall, I don't know if it would have made things worse or not. And I mean, it was an experience. You know what I mean? I learned about stitch tape. I learned that if I needed to, I could apply stitches to myself. Once again, I don't recommend it. You'd be surprised how much feeling that uh, the, <laughs> the way I talked myself into it was, well, it's already cut. There can't be a whole lot of feeling there. You know what I mean? Like, I'll just get oh. it. I'll just get it together. Guess what? There's still a ton of feeling there. <laughs> if anybody has that thought, let me tell you, the nerve endings are still very much alive on either side of a, of a wound. But in any case, I learned about stitch tape. I learned that if I had to do that, I could. I also learned a little bit about um, proper first aid kits. You know what I mean? I had a first aid kit with me, but it really wasn't that great. It had like a compression bandage. It had a triangle bandage and a few little, you know, the, the tear open bandages. And that was my first aid kit. And I learned that if you're going that far into the woods, you should probably have more of a first aid kit, as well as you should carry alcohol pads, maybe some peroxide, some disinfectings, things like that. Like, I learned a lot from the situation. It, it was a crap situation, I acknowledge that. Uh, gloves was another thing that I've learned that if I'm going to be going through unexplored territory, uh, and I know it's shaly and stuff like that, I should probably throw a pair of gloves in my bag and have sense anytime we go camping. Ben and I have talked about this in previous podcasts. Some of our first podcasts say the things you should take with you, a pair of gloves, because you never know when you're going to need them. Going through rocky places like that, not a bad idea to throw them on. They'll offer you a little bit of protection. You know what I mean? If I had I had a good leather glove with reinforced um, padding, might not have even have been an issue. You know what I mean? So I learned yeah. a lot from that situation. And, uh, and oops, sorry, God. And I have to really agree with you with that. Like your hands are an essential tool in the woods. It, it gives you so much ability and, and losing the ability of one or both hands 
will make a bad situation into a much worse situation infinitely quick. So having gloves and taking those few minutes to protect yourself there, I mean, with your hands, you can make tools, you can do so much, but with your hand injured, uh, and I have injured hands in the past, and it does hinder your ability to do a lot of stuff, but you could still do a ton with one injured hand, but with two, you can do so much more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, taking those, those precautions and stuff and, and protecting yourself prevents a bad system from even existing. And if it does exist or it does happen, having it there to keep, keep it from getting worse is so much, you know, so gloves. Yes. A hundred percent good pair of boots, good pair of pants. You know, those are all things that just really can help you out. Uh, as a side note to that, uh, I used floss to stitch myself up, and I asked the doctor what he thought of my job, and I was told not to quit my day job as to whatever it was. So apparently it's not easy to actually do sutures. But once no. again, I've been told, like, oh, I don't know if I could have done the same thing in the situation. What are your other options? Once again, can't, will not, could not. They're all luxuries in that instance I could not afford. And as individuals out there in the woods, you're going to be faced with times, potentially, and I hope nobody is, but potentially you're going to be faced with times where those those three words are luxuries that you probably can't afford. And you got to realize that as a person, you're very capable of doing things you didn't think were even conceivable until you absolutely have to. And once you do a couple of them that you think are well beyond your capabilities it does get easier, or at least you get more foolish about doing them. I don't know which it is, but it seems like it gets easier. Yeah. Little one's off to bed, I think. She may storm in here at any minute, but uh, another prime example of that. This is an easy one. Melissa and I were out walking. Uh, This is when I lived in Westville. We were walking over a snowbank. I went through the snowbank, and it, it happened to be over a fence. My leg went down. Um, It was chain link fence that had those poles on top of it. And the cap was off it, and my knee hit it, and I took, like, a pretty good chunk of skin off of my knee. And, I mean, it looked terrific, but, I mean, the reality was, what were what were my options? You know what I mean? I, you know, looked at it calmly. I was like, well, that sucks. I folded the skin back down in place. I had a bandana on me, because I rarely go anywhere without a bandana. You know what I mean? Uh, tore the top off my sock. Jammed that on it. Tied the bandana around it. Said, all right, let's walk home. And literally on the way home, she was like, I don't think I could have done that. Same kind of thing. What are your options? It's not that you can't do it. It's you don't allow yourself to think you can do it. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't defeat yourself before you ever start. It's amazing what you can do if you just say, oh, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. Uh, It was strange. When when I was in the military and they were training us, they said, they said something that kind of stuck with me, and I believe it to be true. I, I just can't prove it. But they said that they had done tests and found where somebody said, I can't go one step further. That generally, they could go as many steps as they had gone to get to that point before they truly would fail. So you only feel that way at your halfway point. When you feel you can't possibly go any further, you're only halfway to what you actually could, can achieve. Um which is a really weird thing, but then you started thinking about it. You're thinking, well, I couldn't do that. Well, no, you can. Your your body's the, the self-defense mechanism is trying to protect yourself 
is telling you can't, but the reality is you, you, you definitely can. It's just, it's now worried that you're going to overdo it. Uh, but understanding your limitations is, is a hard thing. And it takes a lot of years of practice and stuff to understand what your true limitations are and pushing yourself in a safe way to kind of learn that, um, does help. But, uh, yeah. Um, so Steve I, made the I, comment, uh, necessity is the mother of invention. I've have heard that before and it's a good point. You yeah. must have heard that one before. Have you been? Oh yeah. It, it's, it's true. Right. Um, when you need something, it's when you actually put the time and effort to figure it out uh, before you truly need it. Uh, you just don't put the effort into it. Uh, and it's the same thing as before you need to survive or tell you, before you need to get yourself in the woods or, to, or you need to sleep in the woods, you may feel like it's something beyond you, what you can do. But the reality is once you have to, you're quickly going to realize not only can you do it, but you can do it well. I was just thinking about it and your uh, what you were saying about the military, about when somebody can't walk, say it's they can't walk any further and they can usually go twice that far. Have you actually ever walked so far your body actually just started shutting down? Like you, you're telling your body to do stuff and it just won't do it. I don't think I have. I don't I think I have either. I, I have ran to the point where my body has basically said, you need to stop this. And I've thrown up and I've, I've been in bad shape. But walk, um, that's something I've always been able to do for almost an infinite amount of time. Like I can just walk and walk and walk and walk. And sometimes to, when I needed to think, especially when I was younger, I would walk ridiculous distances just trying to maul things over because that simple physical activity was enough to keep my body occupied and allow my mind free to try to do what I needed to do. Uh, and yeah, you can walk a long distance. It's when you put that extra effort in. We've talked about this with other things like paddling a canoe, uh, going say seven kilometers an hour on a canoe is pretty doable doing nine. And I'm choosing random numbers. Yeah. I don't think, but doing those extra two is infinitely harder. And, and just the more and more you, you paddle yes you're getting a little bit more speed but it's it's sort of the law of diminishing returns your first few paddles get you further than the next three type if you know what i mean like paddling three times as fast doesn't get you there three times as quick it gets you there a little quicker and a lot more exhausted and a lot more exhausted uh, yeah, I've, but... I've heard something said about um uh, Wealth can be summed up the same way. Uh, Interesting. That's a different story from a different time. But. but yeah, after you said that, I thought about it. And I don't think I've ever walked. I know, much like yourself, running. I could run from here to the end of the driveway. My body would tell me to stop that nonsense. But, <laughs> I mean, actually physically done something to the point where I was not capable of doing it again. I don't... I can't remember being in that situation. I can remember being very very exhausted um once again with natural resources we'd fight fires uh campaign fires and things like that porters like fire i was on it for 16 days straight doing 16 hour days and i mean yeah. i was exhausted but at no point was i like oh my gosh i just i can't do anymore 
So it's just kind of a testament to what your body actually can do in the right mentality. Now what you what you probably did find is when at the end of your 16-hour day, when you got back to wherever you were sleeping for that night, you're, you basically at that point tell your body, well, now I can sleep. And you probably went out pretty quick. Oh, man. I uh, it wasn't Porter's Lake Fire. I, it might have been Myers Grant Fire or something like that. I can remember we were there late, late, late. Yeah. Like it was 10 o'clock. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, natural resources or lands and forestry, whatever they're called now, they don't fight fires at night. So when it gets dark, that's it. Like once it starts getting dark, you're shutting down. Uh, Nova Scotia is just not a province where it's safe to do any kind of really woodworking, uh, fighting fires, things like that at night. It's just it's terribly dangerous. And I can remember we shut it down, and it was towards Muscadabit Harbor was where the fire was at. Maybe out towards Myers Grant, something like that. Can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, we shut it down. It took a little while. Uh, I sent the fire crew home because it was late and we we're gonna have to have an early morning. And I said I'd restock the fire truck on my own. And I, the reason I'd said that was because I just happened to have an air mattress in the back of my truck. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not even going to bother going home. I'm just going to sleep in my truck. You know what I mean? So I don't have to travel anywhere. You guys go. I'll do this. And it's not much to stock uh, a natural resources fire truck. There's like 10 to 20 lengths of hose. Uh, usually a small Wajax pump, which I don't think needed to be replaced, a couple of fuel cans, some hand tools, and I mean, Bob's your uncle, that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to restock that took a lot. I can remember being so tired that even a shovel felt like it was heavy, heavy. And I got all that done, and I pulled the truck over. Actually, I don't even think I got the truck over. I said, all right, I got to inflate the air mattress. And I laid it out in back of the truck, and I never even inflated it. I just crawled in on top of it and, I mean, just bang, asleep. The tailgate was still down. I had a cap on my truck at the time. The tailgate was still down. The uh, cap tailgate, whatever you want to call it, was still up. Uh, Kara, who was the fire technician at the time, pulled in the next morning and literally just seen my feet sticking out the back of the truck. And that that's, like, I just literally out. You know what I mean? I crawled in, bam, out, never moved. She didn't know what was going on. It was great. But that was probably the most exhausted I had ever been, that I can remember. Yeah, I, I, uh, I can remember similar type things where like, we would literally like finish an exercise, and been out for for a few days, and you'd just find like a tree, and you'd lean up against the tree, and like, when you are exhausted, you will, you do find you can sleep pretty well anywhere. It doesn't really matter. It's like as long as you can stop and you feel safe, you're gonna find a way to sleep. So it's, it is an interesting, uh, feeling experience, but, um, yeah. Um, and our point there is, yeah, you can go further than, than you think you can do more than you think. Uh, it just, it, it, you just have to sort of accept the fact that you need to do it and it's got to happen. So you're going to do it. Um, don't fight yeah, the inevitable. Yeah. yeah. Don't fight the inevitable. But yeah, I think back to it you know any situation when it gets bad the very first thing you need to do is okay look at what what are the problems that this situation has given me and what what solutions are there and what can i reasonably fix at this time and it doesn't matter if it's the most important thing or the least important thing what can i fix right now because as you fix each individual issue You've now narrowed it down 
to the issues that maybe are bigger, but there's going to be fewer, so they won't feel so overwhelming. So fix fix the things that you can mm -hmm. reasonably. And sometimes it's going to be the very simple tasks. So like if nothing else, if things seem to be going really wrong, and I tell people like this, this fairly frequently, when things seem to go really wrong, stop and take a breath. Think about it. You know, in the woods, good good thing to do. Stop and make a tea. Yep, I agree. Right. Or a cup of coffee, or whatever your choice may be. Yeah. yeah, but stop. Just stop. Make a small fire. Boil up some water. By the time you're finished that cup of, of tea, the situation that seemed insurmountable five minutes ago isn't going to seem quite as bad. It may still seem horrible. Don't get me wrong. Depends on what the situation is. But by the time you're finished, you're going to have some ideas. You're going to think, well, I can do this, and you'll do that. And while you're doing that, your mind's still going, and you're going to figure out, well, I can do this. And, you know, uh, sort of an example of this, and I wasn't on this particular search. There was a hunter that our team had got a call to go in for. And one thing led to another, I guess, and the hunter ended up out there late at night. So our team went looking for him, and, and my, my team... Uh, president, lead, or whatever. I think he said he was one of the ones that found him. When he found the hunter in the woods, it was literally a case of he was out later than he expected, turned dark, he wasn't 100% sure of the way out, and he decided, I'm just setting up camp. And that's exactly what he did. When they found him, he had a fire going, he had a shelter, he had a pile of firewood, he had a beautiful little camp there. And in fact, the guy that found him looked at me one time. He said, like, I looked around. I was ready to stay the night. I was just kind of like, oh, let's just, you know, buddy, we'll just set up here. We'll stay the night. We'll have a few drinks, talk. We'll go out in the morning. He said it was it was set up great. He didn't panic. He didn't say, oh, my goodness, it's going to be late. People are going to be looking for me. He didn't sort of trampsing through the woods in no direction and getting himself much further lost or injured. He did the sensible thing. He looked around, realized that, you know, yeah, I. it is late, it is dark, and it is getting dangerous, but I can set up a safe and, and reliable site right now and uh, deal with it. And tomorrow, I will deal with the next problem. And as it turned out, before he even had to worry about it the next morning, people showed up with flashlights and tools and first aid kits and everything he needed or could possibly need it. And, and the ability to get him out reasonably. And that's what they did. They ended up getting him out. And it's, I don't, I, I kid you not. Like somebody, this guy looked at me and he said, he was set up for the night. He would have been fine. He said, I almost wanted to stay there myself. So. Uh, but like you said, that that's the thing. State of mind, mentality. He knew we had a problem. Things were good. And, and that's the other thing. People tend to let themselves get overwhelmed with a problem. Most major problems or big problems or disastrous problems, whatever you want to call it, they can be broken down into a lot of smaller problems. And as you were saying there earlier, if you can start picking away at some of the smaller problems, the bigger problem doesn't seem as big anymore. You know what I mean? Like the example with my wrist and getting cut. I knew I had to stop the bleeding once the bleeding was stopped. Okay, thing, I have some room to breathe. That's no longer a problem. I got it bandaged up. Okay, now I can move again. Like, I started eliminating the problems in the priority they needed to be done. Uh, you know, I, I kind of did a very quick triage of what was 
most important to least important, least important at the time was getting out. You know what I mean? Like I had to stop the bleeding and blah, 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 blah. And I went through my list and as I took care of the individual problems, the overall problem, you know, I'm bleeding in the woods really far back there. I don't, I can't remember if anybody knew where I was and I had no contact like that. That's a pretty major problem, but broke it down in individual parts. And that problem just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. You know what I mean? So <clears throat> much like your hunter friend, he knew he couldn't get out. So he caught, he, he just, okay, well, that means I'm going to be sleeping in the woods. So that's problem. Number one, I'm going to need a shelter. There's problem number two. I'm going to need fire. There's problem number three. I'm going to need firewood for that fire. There's problem number four. Break it down, segment it, take care of them in your priority. And all of a sudden it's no longer a problem. Oh, I got to stay the night in the woods. Well, I got shelter. I got heat. I got fire or sorry. I have uh, means of cooking. I'm warm. I'm dry. Is it really that big of a problem? It's more of an inconvenience at that point. Yeah. A lot of people, things I think that people think are a major problem are, are better classified as a minor inconvenience. One that I, I've seen a few times, and I, and I do kind of want to mention something that you and Steve are talking about here, but I've known people have gone in and in, once they showed up, they realized, you know, I forgot food. I left the steaks at home. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> or I, I, you know, the eggs got broke and travel or this happened or that happened. And it's like all oh, of the trip is ruined. Well, the trip isn't ruined. Like, it, that's a story. You're going to laugh at it. But the reality is you're good for about two weeks without mm. any more food than you have. So, honestly, that's not the end of the, of the world. Like, yes, you went in the woods expecting a great meal. And, you're, you're you know, you know me. Like, food's important. But it's not the end of the world. Like, if, if you, something happened to your food and you just can't eat it, you're still going to be fine. Uh, you know, even without water, you're good for a couple of days without water. It's it's you're okay right um so the bigger thing you don't have shelter but like you mentioned tom you're in you found like was it the the leeward side of a tree or the under the bow yeah it was kind of like a natural shelter formation yeah um and those exist i mean there are like if you take a few minutes you can usually find a way to get out of the wind out of the cold away from the rain i mean billions of animals do it every day uh, you're an intelligent human being. You can do the same. Uh, it may take some ingenuity. It may not be the most comfortable thing, but you'll do it. <sighs> and comfort is relative to what you're used to versus what you require. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a, a little bit of a statement here about uh, sort of like when when kids our kids were born it's, it's, there's two stories in the comments if you ever want to find it look it up but anyways when uh my firstborn was was born and i had my sister had come up she had planned it a couple of weeks after our first one was supposed to be born to sh show up and our first one like everything she does is a little bit more difficult than it probably needed to <laughs> and she showed up a few weeks late and so my sister was leaving the morning that we were actually t supposed to be induced because they'd gone longer than they had planned and even letting her go. So I had to get up early in the morning and put my sister in, in on a plane. So I didn't get much sleep the night before. Cause I hate it when I got to get up earlier than normal because yeah. I, I just can't sleep. And we went in to get induced and Missy was in the hospital for almost 
almost 24 hours before she sort of went into labor. Uh, and then one thing went for another. It was like a C-section was involved. It was just like everything seemed to be going like out of control. And I just had to be there and support. It's all I could do because that's, you know, as a guy, there's not all that much we can do in that situation. Just support everyone that's around us. Um, and I was up, I think, almost 48 hours like without any good sleep, maybe a bit longer, maybe a bit less with the sporadic naps in between, if, if, if at all. And uh, when we got everything settled, you know, the oldest was born. Missy was fine. To, they had taken care of any issues that were happening. She was, you know, she was sleepy, but but fine. They get us back to the room and we're just trying to get settled in. And everyone's there, like, you know, congratulating us for a baby and all that. And I was flat out exhausted, <laughs> like totally exhausted. And they had no no cot or anything for me to lay in. And I can remember this is in the IWK. And I went up in front of one of the windows. It was like overlooking a big lot. <laughs> and there's a, a cold air vent that just blew up onto the window. And I just curled up on top of the cold air vent, went to sleep because it was the only <laughs> flat surface I could find. <laughs> and I took like a 45-minute nap. And I, I can just to this day, I'm almost like thinking about it. I can feel the cold air blowing up my shirt, <laughs> and just didn't care. Just no, no. Best sleep, the best 45 minute nap you had in that 48 hour period. Yeah. Maybe the only yeah. one, but still the best one. Yeah, but no. And about an hour later, I think they did bring a cot in, and everything was fine after that. But you know, yeah. Uh, something else the military taught me over the years is when you got nothing else to do nap because uh, you don't know when you get your next one so if everything's taken care of and you you're bored and you don't know what to do in a bad situation always a good option is take yourself a nap take just have a nap believe it or not it does a wonder world of goods uh yeah a nap can rebalance you too you know what i mean because you'll think more clearly with a rested mind but, yeah uh, I see a tool in your hand. Nope, that is a spoon. You and I started carving once upon a time, and it was hardwood. It was rock maple, and when it was green, it was great. And now that it is dried, there is no carving it anymore. So I just kind of leave it here wondering what to do with it. And I've even tried burning it. And, I mean, it's, it's just really hard. So yeah. I leave it as my relic, I guess. Because it has a, it was a perfect spoon. Like, look at that shape. That is just so fits in your hand. It would have been perfect. Anyway, memories of what could have been. But um, sorry, go ahead. I, I said that's something else. Oftentimes, you can build the tools you need. Um, you know, if you forget your tent pegs, you forget your your spoon, you forget your poles. A lot of the stuff can be made. It can be fabricated, or simulated, or whatever you want to say. Or, or something can be made to sort of overcome the, the obstacles. And it's just taking the time and, and the thought to figure it out. A little hint for anybody out there. If you don't know how to use a pair of chopsticks and you're used to going into the woods a lot, it's a skill worth looking into because how easy is it to grab two sticks, clean off the ends by shaving them down a little bit, and at least get some food down your gullet? You know what I mean? Missing your eating utensils? Because I'm notorious for getting eating utensils. 
it's that that's one of the number one reasons I learned to start like carving food paddles and eating with chopsticks because let's face it there's a 50 50 chance maybe even greater that I'm not gonna bring a fork or a spoon so definitely have a knife but if you've ever tried to eat rice with a knife it don't work well you can do it it should it doesn't work well you can do your fingers yeah I, you know what I use my hands as eating instruments as a last resort because even if I wash them in the river I don't know what was in the river <laughs> and to boil up water to wash my hands just time thing that's just me personally there's different ways yeah. of going about that have some soap things like that it, it's easy to get around but yeah chopsticks is my answer uh, or another one I would do is um, like I said make a food paddle but anyway once again minor inconveniences I've never let forgetting eating utensils uh, dampen any kind of camping trip because they're, they're, they're luxuries, honestly. Or at least that's my mentality about them. Maybe they're necessities for some people. I have no idea. And that's the other thing. So what? It's a pretty broad statement saying that most people's catastrophes are inconveniences. Because it might be to me. Um, and I guess you kind of got to realize that about yourself, too. Like, what is truly a disaster and what is truly an inconvenience? Truly a disaster to me, it's got to be pretty catastrophic. Otherwise, like Ben said, it, it's mostly an inconvenience, honestly. I can roll with the punches and figure it out. Yeah. Um, so Stephen asked, when do we draw the line to bail rather than overcome, specifically in the woods, of course? And I think, for me, there's two lines. And and, and this is a... I'm going to start off with this is a bit of a bad attitude for me. But it is where I sit. So first off and foremost, if there's someone with me and I feel that their health is at risk in any way, shape, or form, then I will bail. I will pull them out. Not bail them, out on them. I will make sure that they get out because I, I'm never putting someone else's life at risk, period. That, that's something I can't, can't, uh, can't condone. So I, I'm much more likely to bail out when someone else's life is at risk or their health is at risk. Um, but then when it's for me, I'm probably a little bit more cavalier and that's, that's something that, you know, I have to consciously overcome really. But um, it's comes down to when I, I truly feel that I'm likely to get injured more so than there's a risk of it. So I take a little bit more risk, but I still, when it looks like it's likely that the only outcome for me is, is to be injured or, or hurt or killed, then I'm definitely going to try and get myself out of that situation. Um, and that's, you know, that's a very personal thing, like where, how you, how you define that line. And it's also probably one of the big reasons why I prefer to always camp if I can with somebody else is because I know that, I'm always on the, sort of on the lookout for them, and I expect they're kind of on the outlook for me because I think we're much better at looking at a, out for other people than we are for ourselves. Now, I think Robert, yeah, he's nodding over there. He's kind of the same thing. Like when we're in, we're much more concerned about each, each other's health and safety than we are on our own, which is great because it sort of protects us from doing extra stupid things. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where you kind of have to do. It. If it's just what I consider an inconvenience or something that you know I can, you know, 
food, shelter, those things are one thing. But if you've got no shelter and it's calling for horrible weather, now you've got like two or three things. And once things start to compound, you really have to sort of look at the whole thing and say, okay, now risks have gotten. So there's, there's even, I don't know if you, you guys ever done the, the risk analysis type things. Oh yeah, I've done it in uh, both my line with where I'm working now and with natural resources, yeah. and uh, and that that's just it. It all comes down to risk analysis. So much like Ben, my answer is almost uh, verbatim what he would say. With somebody else, I'm a lot more laid back. Uh, I might even come out a little sooner than Ben, um, only because I start thinking. Well, and I guess it depends on the skill level. You know what, if the person I'm taking in, are they somebody that's green to the woods or are they somebody that's fairly knowledgeable about the woods? If it was Ben and I going in, um, definitely push that limit a lot more. I'm not going to lie because I know Ben's capable of it and Ben knows he's capable of it. If I was to take Lily in, for instance, my daughter, um, I would probably bail a little a little sooner, even at maybe the inconvenience level, just because I want them to have a good time. You know what I mean? I try to get people out in the woods to have a good time, but if they're wanting to come out and have the experience, then you, you kind of go with that. And like Ben said, if life safety becomes a problem, then that's, that's kind of a borderline there with myself. Um, yeah, I push that probably, uh, significantly further. Like Ben said, uh, my decision-making is if everything goes wrong, Am I in real danger? That That's kind of my deciding factor. Like Ben said, if if for some reason I can't get a fire going, I can't get a shelter made, um, am I at real risk? Uh, if it's uh, a warm night, no rain, no. I'm probably not going to pay you know, bail. It might be inconvenient. I'll just sleep beside the fire. Things will be fine. Uh, is it kind of cool? Maybe a little damp and I can't get a shelter or fire going. Well, you know, the potential of hypothermia is starting to creep up there. Yeah, I'm going to pull it. Uh, but like Ben said, simple as food, no food. I know I got a couple days in there. I might be hungry, but that's, that's not enough for me to pull an overnighter or to, to not do an overnighter. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah. And like Ben said, I think we tend to push ourselves individually probably further than we should uh and that that's a great topic too maybe for another day um being self-aware because we, we always say know your limitations but also be aware of what's realistic um yeah and and, and this might sound a little bad but i kind of say this to myself a lot when i'm in with with other people it's like everyone is not me and what I mean by that, when I say that to myself, and I say it to myself, I'm not saying this to other people, is I can't judge everyone else by what I think I'm capable of or what I know I'm capable of. And if I do, I'm putting them at risk because if they're not as comfortable with what I'm comfortable with doing, and I'm not saying that this would be always that I'm the one that's most capable. If I happen to go in with Ray Mears or Bill Bear Grylls or someone like that, then they might look at it and, and and take a risk that I wouldn't. But I, I do judge and I look at people around me. I'm like, I can't expect that they're perfectly comfortable with everything I would do. That all being said, I was in a situation a while ago, last year, actually, this year. Could have been early this year, last winter, either way, where 
me and a few other guys were winter camping. And while we were going out winter camping, we ran into two young fellas that were also heading into a similar area we were in. And uh, our campsite was happened to be without crossing open water in the middle of winter, because that makes sense to me. But these other two young fellas had decided that they were going to cross open water. Um, and we kind of knew where they were going. So once we'd set up camp, we had everything set up. We said, well, let's go see if we can see where these young fellas went. So we walked down to where they were supposed to cross this river. And we could clearly see the tracks where they had tried to cross the river and had failed. And you could pretty well see where someone had must have fallen through the ice and then come back and then took a different trip. And then I could see two clearly distinct sets of tracks going up the other side of the bank. So I'm like, okay, they made it, but they didn't make it well. Like, and here's my question. If you were winter camping and let's say January, may have been February and you knew that you had fallen through the ice and you were wet and you were only a couple of kilometers from your vehicle, but you were, you know, would you continue to cross the river and camp that night or would you have went back and said, I need to reevaluate? I guess there's a fair amount of, for me personally, there's some factors that would play into that, I guess. Um, I guess if I was going to be crossing open water like a river in the winter, chances are I probably would have wore hip waders. You know what I mean? I would have prepared for it. I assume these guys didn't. <sighs> See, I mean, you're getting into dangerous territory there. How far away would it have been? Did he have dry clothes? Do you have extra footwear? Because I'm, I'm assuming his feet got wet, and most people don't carry an extra set of footwear. So that would have been a red flag for me to the point where you know, life safety is becoming an issue. Um, I, I don't have the best circulation of my feet anyway, from a similar experience. I've fallen in water. Uh, I've almost frozen to death and I know what it can do and what it feels like. And it, it's, uh, it's uncannily relaxed. If that makes any kind of sense, like you can slip into freezing to death real easily without knowing it. So cold weather is a huge red flag to me because once again, it's a little personal to me. I've almost been there and it, it's so easy to freeze to death. and so easy to talk yourself into, I'll be fine when it comes to cold weather that probably I would have pulled out. You know what I mean? See, Just. And, it, and there's the line that I would probably too, like in the winter when you're wet and you're cold and you don't really have a great means for drying yourself off. You've taken a huge risk there. And I, I personally think, especially if I was with someone else, that we were in that situation, I would have probably turned around and said, buddy, like, I think we should head home now. Uh, at least get back to the vehicle and get dried off and, and reevaluate. These, these young fellows didn't make this decision. And we actually talked about this that night because there's you know, three of us. The three of us pretty experienced. So we kept the, a pretty good ear out that night to see if we heard anything. And they knew we weren't far away. Like We talked to them before they went in. Uh, and through uh, the next day when we got up and we took the camp down, we were back at the vehicles. These two young fellows came trudging out. And I got to say, to me, they were ill-prepared. Like one guy had two backpacks on, one on the front, one on the back. They were carrying lawn chairs in their hands. Like a lot of gear, poorly packed. Um, 
but they were going in for a good time. They knew what they were doing. They knew what they were kind of getting into. But, um, and they kind of indicated they do it fairly frequently. But I'm looking at the gear and the layout and the stuff, and I'm like, man, like you're, it's a little fishy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I guess what's the definition of frequently? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, two, three times a year. I don't know, but they 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 seem to be into this, and they seem to be excited about what they're doing. They had a place check, you know, pre pre uh, figured out. And the guy actually told me they 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 got to the other side of the river. They found their camp. They set up, and the guy who fell through actually just basically got a fire going and crawled into a sleeping bag and spent the whole day in a sleeping bag trying to dry his gear. Out. The other guy actually left him and sort of went exploring and had gotten a little bit further and found out some other camping sites for a future trip and stuff and came back and checked on him every now and then. And there was a, a large amount to me of risk involved in this because of the whole situation. Because it did get quite cold that night. It was cold enough to, you know, me and the guys I were with were both running wood stoves inside our tents. Like, that was the point of this trip. Like, it was... It was going to be cold, and we had a good fire, and we had good chats and stuff, and it was a great time. Uh, we just kind of looked at that. We could have went across that river, but looking at it, we were like, it isn't worth our risk. It's None of us were 100% sure we could make it across without slipping, falling, and getting wet. And, you know, that's a huge risk in the winter. Hmm. <sighs> yeah, like I said... I, I would still say I probably would have pulled out, honestly. But that's a good place to um, maybe shut her down for tonight, Ben. We're at an hour and ten minutes. For those of uh, you folks out there that are listening, uh, listening to Ben's tale there, what would you guys have done, honestly, in that situation? I mean, uh, the you know the, the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, I wouldn't have went. But, I mean, no, really think about it. Put yourself in their position. And what would you have done? I mean, they obviously had a plan. Like you said, they planned this for a while, by the sounds of it, if they had been doing it frequently, as they were saying. So, do you think they made a good call? I mean, they obviously came out. Things went all right. Uh, but it was colder. Buddy Sp spent the day in a sleeping bag, which I assume was not the plan to begin with. No. So was was that even worth going in for? Like, I mean, you know what I mean? What what would you folks out there have done? I'd be interested to hear what you guys uh, have to say on that topic because that, that's a pretty good story, you know what I mean? That's a real, a very realistic story that could happen. I mean, uh, the stories we told are kind of, um, I guess they're somewhat realistic, but they're kind of extreme. But that, one, that one's, you hear that a lot. People going out in the woods and falling in, getting wet, and then do, they go back or continue forward uh and a lot of time, times when people continue forward um it doesn't work out the way they planned good bad or otherwise so yeah what's your thoughts ben is that a good place to shut her down for tonight or yeah uh i guess i mean the more i talked talked to this I, I i thought of something about even on that trip i had to, that was the trip where my uh my makeshift cheap sled had failed on the trip and i ended up having to figure my own you know, the dash slip sled broke, and I had to sort of carry everything differently. I had to have like a backup plan, which I knew was a risk when I went in. So everything was in a pack, and I could carry it. It was just less convenient. So, so you know, just because things... Carl threw it up here, I want to make mention of this before we go. Uh, 
He fell through the ice in hockey skates once and had to walk home with them because he lost the ability to untie them. Uh, these are all things with cold weather. Like, uh, you have you ever heard of the one ten one rule, Ben? No. So when you fall into cold water, uh, and cold doesn't have to be freezing; it just has to be cold. I think cold is anything below five degrees Celsius. I can't remember, but the the one ten the one ten one rule is you have one minute to catch your breath. Because there's uh, the initial shock of you gasp when you get hit with cold air. You know what I mean? And it feels like you can't catch your breath. You have one minute to catch your breath or you'll start to hyperventilate and get lightheaded. You have ten minutes of usable dexterity before you start losing dexterity. Like, you know, your fine motor skills start going out the door. Uh, And then you have about one hour um, until you're in a real, real bad way. Like... Just falling in the water uh, isn't necessarily a death sentence or anything like that, and this is the common misconception with it. And like I said, this is, could be a topic for another night. But the quick thing is, you have an hour. You have an hour before things get terrible, terrible, terrible. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Anyway, food for thought. Uh, I think that's it for comments. But yeah, what did you guys think about this topic? Was this something that you guys were interested in? Uh, kind of a little different than what we normally talk about because we always usually uh, try to have some tidbits of information and uh, comparisons and stuff like that, but this was just kind of story time. And I think you, uh, people out there will still learn a lot from it, hopefully. I mean, uh, I'm a big preacher of people learning from other people's mistakes. Why repeat the wheel? So hopefully somebody out there heard something good and it makes their stay in the woods a little bit more enjoyable. Okay. Have a good night, everybody. (laughs) Night all. Get out there. Have fun. Enjoy yourselves. Uh, You know, do plan things so that things are less likely to go bad. But when they do, just make the best of it as best you can. And if things get to the point where you really think you're at risk, I guess, yeah, try to get out of that situation as safely and quickly as possible. Uh, But uh, I think the more time you spend out there, the more you do, the more you'll realize what you what is a bad situation and what's a minor inconvenience. And and Robert really hit it on the head. Learning to tell the difference between those two events can really help you better judge situations. So is it a minor inconvenience or is it actually, uh, you know, a big deal? And you'll be surprised how much stuff truly is a minor inconvenience. Night, folks. <laughs>